All right, welcome to the first episode of the 207 Alpha podcast. My name is Danny Bunker, and I'm the current Executive Vice President of SIGEP at the University of Maine, and I'll be serving as the main host for this podcast. The purpose of it will be to interview past alumni of the chapter. Uh, we'll be discussing a wide variety of topics. It's going to base mainly upon the alumni that we have. This could be finance, it could be careers, life after college. It could be about their experience in the chapter. Today, I'm very honored to be joined by Matt Rodrigue, who was the chartering president of the Maine Alpha Chapter Sigma Phi Epsilon here at the University of Maine to discuss that rechartering process in 2001-2001. He currently serves as the managing director and co-head of Miller Buckfire, which is a New York-based investment banking firm. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here uh, virtually and uh, an honor to participate in the first uh, edition of this podcast. Yeah, it's super exciting. It's a it's a project we wanted to get up and running for a while, so it's cool to be able to have this opportunity and, and get to interview you here. So, we'll, Yeah, likewise. M- mutual pleasure. Yeah. So I guess the best way to jump into this would be uh, what actually got you interested in Greek life when you got on campus? Great question. Uh, and, you know, Truthfully, I really wasn't interested in Greek life when I joined campus. Uh, you know, I arrived on campus in the fall of 2000, uh, and you know, most students of my era, uh, and even a little before and, and probably a little after, uh, thought of Greek life uh, from, from the movie Animal House, right? Right. Um, you've got these images of, like, John Bellucci just being, like, nuts and partying and not being intellectual, uh, and I sort of felt, uh, like I was the opposite and didn't want to be associated with that, uh, stereotype. Uh, so it actually, uh, took, you know, quite a bit of work, uh, for the guys who were starting the chapter at that time to convince me that SIGEP was different. Uh, and the more time I spent with them, uh, and the more time I learned about Sigma Phi Epsilon, uh, you know, the more I came to appreciate that, that it was different. Uh, and something, you know, worth being part of. Yeah, and I feel like even a lot of the undergraduates today still feel that way. I know when I, when I joined, I had come up for the Balanced Man Scholarship in the fall. Uh, I was invited as a finalist to the banquet, and I had talked to some of the guys, and it was actually my parents who were like, hey, those guys seem like a lot like you. You should really think about getting involved. And I was like, wow, if they're they're talking that highly of them. I mean, I was impressed too, but the fact that, my parents were also pretty impressed. It was like, wow, this is this is definitely different, you know? Yeah, I, I got the Balanced Man Scholarship application uh, by email, and uh, I looked at it. I actually talked about it with my parents, and my father asked one of his coworkers, hey, you know, this Sigma Phi Epsilon thing, uh, the scholarship, is that real, or is that just uh, a way to, you know, trick guys into joining their fraternity? Uh, and his coworker, of course, uh, knew uh, the chapter in his prior iteration, I think, through its ups and downs and, you know, mostly downs, uh, and didn't really have a lot of positive things to say. And so I actually uh, declined participating in the Balanced Man Scholarship uh, in the fall of 2000. Uh, and instead, uh, you know, I-, I was running cross-country for the university. I wanted to be a Division three runner. Uh, I wanted to uh, compete on the team. Uh, and I, I did, uh, you know, and the team was really successful, uh, in the fall of 2000, we won the America East championship, 
you know, I was one of the, um, the varsity runners in the top five pretty consistently. Uh, but the culture on the team um, was uh, probably more like the frat boy stereotype than Segep was. Uh, you know, they, uh, for lack of a better word, they hazed us. They shaved our heads. When it was, my hair was growing back in, uh, they actually dyed it blonde. So, and this was in the preseason. So I showed up my first day of classes uh, and I'd get pretty dark features, uh, but I had a shock of blonde hair uh, that was, you know, maybe uh, three eighths of an inch long growing back in uh, and really dark eyebrows. And I think people looked at me and they're like, who's the freak in the corner? <laughs> uh, and that was the start of my college experience. And, you know, it kind of loomed over uh, things. I mean, I, pulled out of that situation. I just decided I didn't want to be around uh, a set of folks like that. Uh, I wanted to be around people uh, who would make me better as a person. Uh, and that was also a pretty big factor in joining SEGAP. Yeah. And who would have thought that now every year on main day, we all shave our heads for St. Baldrick's, you know? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, I, I, I'm sure that's more voluntary than it was for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but people really thought I had lost it. Uh, you know, they knew me as being a good runner and a good student in high school. And I went to UMaine. I ran my season, uh, you know, on the cross-country team. And then I quit the team. And, you know, it was actually the start of the following semester, uh, February 2001, when I joined SIGEP. Uh, and then people really thought I had gone off the deep end because I had quit the cross-country team and joined a fraternity. And, you know, they, they thought it was downhill from there. Obviously, it wasn't. Right, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you, you meet these guys. You decide to join SIGEP. So, when you get in, you you realize you're in the process of restarting. So, what was that like? What was the process of starting a colony like at a humane level? So, I started or joined uh, in February 2001 and the initiative to bring SIGEP back had already been in motion uh, for a little over six months. Uh, the expansion team uh, came to campus in the spring of 2000, uh, and they had a tough time. Uh, you know, I think today, looking back on it, you would have thought uh, the expansion would have failed uh, because when the expansion team from headquarters left, they only had four guys uh, starting the chapter at the end of the spring of 2000. And that's how they started in the fall of 2000. Uh, but, you know, the, those four guys, uh, credit to them, uh, they really held it together and pushed forward uh, and got some momentum that fall. Uh, and you're going to ask me who the four are. I try to name them because uh, it predates me, but I think it was uh, Alex Arroyo, Ted Peets, Josh Higgins, um, and one other, the name eludes me at the moment, but uh, the four of them really made a push. Uh, and I think when I joined uh, at the start of the spring semester, I was probably the 13th uh, guy to join. Uh, so, you know, by no means should I get the credit for bringing the chapter back uh, to UMaine. I was around it and part of it, uh, but, you know, the, the push was in motion uh, when I joined. And, uh, you know, at the time that I, I joined, it was all about the values. Uh, you know, we weren't back in the house yet. We were meeting in the basement of Oxford Hall. And, you know, I guess the question would be like, why join a fraternity 
uh, you know, if there's not going to be a house, right? If there's not, not going to be a place where you get together. Uh, and the answer was for the, the brotherhood that, that we had, that we were building, and for the values uh, that the organization stood for. Uh, and that, that's what attracted me. So when the expansion team showed up, I mean, this was before you were there, but you you were one of the earlier members. So did they talk kind of about those values to the guys that were there at that time recruiting people? And then that's how you guys kind of based your values for the local chapter as well. And that's how you recruited. Yeah. I mean, that would be a great question. Uh, maybe on one of the next episodes, if you can get one of the, uh, original four, uh, cause I, I wasn't there. I didn't interface directly with the expansion team yep. when they were, uh, coming to campus. But, uh, I know, uh, from being around other chapter expansions that, you know, they meet with student leaders, uh, they meet with sororities, they meet with other fraternities, uh, they meet with, uh, the campus leadership, the dean of students, uh, and they try to find people with the right mindset and the right values. Uh, and that's what they pitch, uh, you know, when they try to start the chapter. And throughout the fall of 2000 and the spring of 2001, uh, you know, we were out there uh, pitching the values and the brotherhood as the reasons to join. And, you know, credit to all the guys who are around at that time. For the most part, uh, they were uh, walking the walk. Uh, you know, not just talking the talk. We had high GPA. We were very active, active in intramurals. Uh, there was a lot of energy and, you know, people could feel it. Uh, and that's why I joined and that's, you know, how we got others to join. Yeah. So you, you touched on a little bit about, you know, you guys are meeting in the basement of Oxford. So what was it like before the house? I mean, obviously you're, you're meeting in the basement of a dormitory on campus and, but like, as far as your events went, when you did other things like that we think of as, as normal to talk about and do outside the house or around that kind of centralized location, how did you guys kind of make that happen? Yeah, we had to be a little more creative, uh, right? There wasn't really the type of default place to meet like a house is. We had, uh, you know, that room in the basement of Oxford Hall and it was good, but it's not the same as having a house. Uh, but, you know, we were just creative about planning events, uh, you know, finding things to do, planning socials. Uh, we did things in the Oxford Hall room. We also did things at other locations on campus. Uh, we held events off campus. Uh, and, you know, we knew that we were building toward uh, having the house. I don't remember the exact number of guys uh, that we had by the end of the spring of 2001. Uh, but I think it was uh, 30 or more. Uh, we, we had a lot of growth that spring, uh, and that was enough to get us into the house uh, in the fall of 2001. Uh, and that was the goal, uh, or one of the goals uh, throughout that spring. We knew if we got to enough guys, uh, we'd have enough people to move into the house and make the numbers work financially uh, to support the house. Meanwhile, uh, the house uh, had been through uh, you know, quite the saga, uh, when the last chapter, uh, or the earlier, uh, SIGA chapter was, uh, evicted from campus. Uh, I think it was, uh, the 95, 96 time, uh, yep. the house was in really tough shape. Uh, and there's two alumni who stepped forward, uh, Ben Haskell and Fred Stoddard, uh, who were really driving force toward, uh, you know, raising some debt, uh, and putting money into the house, renovating it, uh, resheet rocking, uh, getting the house in a 
position where it could be used at least as a commercial space. Uh, and the public safety uh, campus police uh, were actually based at the Seget House uh, from roughly 1996 until the spring of uh, 2001, while their new headquarters is being built uh, on campus. Uh, and that, that uh, gave the alumni corporation uh, the revenue to uh, pay the mortgage to stay in the house uh, while the chapter was uh, not on campus. So when you guys were moving back in during that process, how many of you guys were had decided to, were you living in the house at that point or was it just kind of more of like, this will be a meeting place for us? No, starting in the fall of 2001, uh, we moved into the house. Oh, wow. Uh, so we had enough guys. It was probably uh, 20 or so people. Uh, and then we took on some boarders, which was not ideal. Uh, so people who were not brothers, but just, you know, boarding uh, there so that we could get some additional revenue. Right. Uh, and that was enough for us to uh, buy the furniture that we needed. Uh, it wasn't very nice furniture, by the way. It was <laughs> what we could afford. Uh, and to hire a cook and buy food uh, and, you know, set up internet, uh, pay for utilities, uh, cable and so forth. Uh, and, you know, we launched with the house uh, in the fall of 2001. It, it, probably, I think it was earlier, mid-August uh, that, you know, people started moving in. Uh, we had a process where we signed leases. Um, looking back on it, it was pretty loosey-goosey. Uh, you know, Fred and Ben, uh, had a lot of energy and they kept this thing, uh, the house, uh, you know, kept it intact, uh, you know, through that period when uh, the chapter was not on campus. But, uh, you know, they kind of handed it over to us at that point. Uh, they were officers of the ABC, but they really looked to us to manage uh, the day-to-day. Uh, and so there was no property management company we were the ones setting up the utilities. We were the ones who hired the cook. Uh, you know, we maintained most of the funds uh, to pay the cook, to buy the food, uh, and, you know, ultimately even to pay the mortgage. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it was uh, to Fred uh, and Ben's surprise uh, and maybe to our own surprise how successful we were at it. Um, and, you know, for us, uh, it really felt like, uh, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, there was a lot of responsibility uh, because it didn't really feel like there was a large ABC alumni and volunteer corporation to fall back on. Uh, and if we messed up, I think we were probably afraid of being homeless. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we were very focused on making it successful. And looking back on it, it's one of the things that uh, I think has benefited me in my career uh, it's that early experience of, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to have the money, set up the budget, make the numbers work? Because uh, we were the ones, uh, you know, putting the leases together, signing the leases. I think like one of this, the, uh, the VP of finance was a person who countersigned the leases for us. It's crazy. Uh, you know, <laughs> wow. that is not an officer of the ABC. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, di- we didn't know any better. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but we, we made it work. Uh, and for guys who didn't pay, there's a lot of social pressure. Hey, you got to pay because we got to make this work. Uh, and there was one guy who didn't pay and we had to evict him. We uh, had a standards board meeting uh, and, you know, decided he wasn't going to be a fit for the chapter. Uh, you know, it, there were some other issues too. Uh, and so I remember, uh, this is a little later, 
but I actually uh, put together eviction papers uh, and called campus police down. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. He goes nuts on me. Uh, and I, I served in the eviction papers with the campus police officer standing there. And I think the campus police officer wasn't sure what he was supposed to do either. He just asked the guy if he understood uh, what it meant. And, you know, he, he said yes. Uh, and, you know, at, at least from that point forward, he kind of left peacefully and it was fine. Uh, but it, it was quite the experience. And you know, the good news now is it's more organized. Uh, I don't think brothers have to evict other brothers or, you know, no, no. Quite for that. Um, but in terms of an early experience, uh, you know, for teaching someone about leadership and how to mobilize and organize uh, and get things done, uh, it wound up being a, a valuable experience for, for a lot of us. Yeah, that that had to be insane because, I mean, for us as undergraduates, when we think back on that possibility of not having an ABC, obviously we've been so involved with them through the pandemic and the the possibility of getting a new house in the future. To think about a time before that where we would be responsible for all those things is just pretty crazy because it's a lot of responsibility to basically be your own landlord for 20 people in a house. Yeah, it, it um, you know, at the time, it just felt like uh, it was what we had to do. So we did it. Looking back on it, it was a little bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I think all of us got a good experience from it. Yeah, definitely. So you get your house back. You're in the process with probably 20 guys at this point. When you started to recruit that fall of 2001, what was it, what was it like recruiting on campus? You know, you, you knew your values and kind of the people that you were looking for, but besides the balanced man scholarship, what were your other methods of trying to find people? Yeah, G- great question. Uh, so the balanced man scholarship, we really formalized it in the fall of 2001. Uh, I think in the fall of 2000, uh, you know, one of the volunteers that was working with us sent an email to a bunch of incoming male students, uh, and it was a pretty casual process. We made a real push to formalize in Volvo one. And so we had a really successful, uh, balanced man scholarship process where, uh, you know, prior to arriving on campus, uh, the undergrads in the chapter, uh, the brothers, uh, went and actually met with candidates in their homes, uh, met the parents, talked about SIGA, uh, asked questions of the, uh, incoming students, got to know them, uh, and it wound up being very effective and successful. I don't remember now the exact number of uh, people that we recruited through the BMS that fall, but it, it was substantial. I want to say it was, you know, probably 10 or more. Uh, and, you know, just like the first goal uh, was to get enough guys so that we could move back into the house, the second goal was to have enough guys that we could put together a credible uh, chartering application uh, and submit it to headquarters and get our charter back. Uh, and so everyone had uh, this collective goal and vision through the fall of 2001 uh, that we were going to work together. We were all going to pound the pavement, you know, find the best guys on campus, recruit them to SIGAP uh, and have enough strength uh, to apply for our charter, uh, you know, by the end of the fall semester. And, and that's what we did. Uh, and it was a really, uh, exciting time. It was also, I think, for all of us, uh, in some ways, a really trying time. Uh, I mean, the fall of 2001, 
Uh, people will, I think, now reflect uh, that was, you know, when the September 11th attacks happened, that was early, early in the semester. And so I remember it being a time of like a sea of emotions uh, for me personally. Uh, you had the excitement of moving back in the house, the excitement of building a chapter, the tragedy shortly after that of, you know, the September 11th attacks and dealing with all those emotions uh, and the uncertainty that that caused. Uh, I was going through some changes in my personal life, uh, breaking up with a, a longtime girlfriend at the time. Uh, and so, you know, for a lot of us, it was just uh, a really pivotal time in our lives uh, and kind of a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, but we had uh, incredible success. And uh, it's, it's, you know, something that I think we all look back on as uh, for most or all of us, you know, one of the best times of our lives. Yeah, I would imagine it had to have been an absolutely wild time, especially like you're saying with with the 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 September 11th attacks happening. You're moving right back into school, getting into the swing of things, and that comes down, and it's just that must have been incredibly tumultuous time in the chapter. Um, and so, I mean, on that same note, where you guys are kind of all coming back together, you're looking to get enough guys to get that charter. How soon? You know, you said you guys kind of started to develop a vision. How soon would you say that that vision and the culture within the chapter was kind of built and started to really progress? From the beginning, uh, you know, I would say all the way back to the spring of 2000 when they were launching the chapter is when the vision and the values uh, were set forth. And that seed, even though, look, they only wound up with four guys from the expansion team. Uh, that seed came from the expansion team and from the original uh, people that they selected to join the chapter uh, and to start the colonization process. And, you know, it's not to say it was always that simple or easy. Uh, one of the big debates that we had at the time uh, was, you know, whether or not the house should be dry and to what extent it should be dry. Uh, that's now settled, uh, not just for Maine Alpha, but also for SIGEP nationally. Uh, you know, all chapter houses are dry across the nation. Uh, but at, at the time, it was much more controversial. And we were, I think, at the leading edge of pushing to make the chapter house completely dry, uh, you know, relative to, you know, almost all other SIGEV chapters at the time. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that wound up uh, as controversial as it was uh, being a really good thing for the chapter because, you know, it's a bunch of young guys. I mean, most of us weren't even 21. Uh, and you take a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, uh, put them in a house and they're trying to figure all these things out, uh, you know, how to make the numbers work, how to behave, stay out of trouble, uh, you know, have enough structure that they can uh, hire a cook and pay for food and, you know, pay the heating bill. Uh, and when you introduce alcohol to that equation and all the crazy things that can happen, uh, it, it's just, it winds up being a recipe, uh, for, uh, a lot of volatility and, uh, mistakes. And so, you know, in large part, we did keep the alcohol, uh, out of the chapter house. And I think that's one of the reasons that we wound up being so successful in attracting the right kind of guys to join the chapter. Yeah, I would agree. Cause even looking at it now, you know, 20 years later, you know, when we recruit guys, it's one of the first things we bring up because that's how we know whether or not they're going to be a good SIGET because a lot of the guys that we end up recruiting are, are people, like we kind of said in the beginning, that really don't have a great 
image of Greek life, you know, they're thinking animal house. And then when they come down to the house and they hear, oh, we're completely dry, substance free house. They go, oh, wow. Why do you do that? When you explain that process of like, it keeps the house clean, you know, it keeps you, keeps you on the straight and narrow. You're keeping the right things in mind to kind of progress yourself and, and set yourself up for the future. Um, a lot of people really, that resonates with them. And on the flip side of that, you know, you, we see chapters come onto this campus all the time. They, like you said, they start up, they introduce alcohol into the way that they, they start their process with a lot of younger guys and not, it's not people that are of age. They don't know how to do it responsibly. And they end up being off campus or underground or in trouble with their nationals within a year or two. And so, yeah, I, I think that was an incredibly mature move by the chapter. And obviously, the rest is history. It's worked out really well for us. So, Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, in large part, it becomes self-selecting. And it actually, I think, can be part of the sales pitch uh, when you're trying to attract the right kind of guys. Uh, but because it was so unorthodox at the time, uh, at Maine and even within SIGAP nationally, uh, it was pretty controversial and, you know, not everyone agreed all the time. And so we had a lot of vigorous debates, uh, and a lot of it came to a head, actually not in the 2001 to 2003 time, but later, uh, I graduated in 04 and there wound up being a member review in 2005. Uh, and a couple of that, you know, unfortunately or fortunately ended with uh, a number of guys having to leave the chapter. But that was really uh, the event, I think, that ultimately set the tone, you know, for the next decade. Um, you know, but those were those were tough decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you guys started to get into this process. And obviously, one of the things that I'm really curious about is how did you end up in the role of, of president during our chartering year? It's a great question. Uh, you know, <laughs> I want to say by accident, but it's not quite accurate. Um, you know, I was uh, a pretty high achieving, hard charging uh, guy uh, back then. And even now, you might say. Uh, and I think people picked up on that. Uh, there's probably some leadership qualities that come along with it. Uh, and people knew that we were going to be driving toward our charter. Uh, and they knew that I was goal oriented, uh, and I was interested in being a leader for the chapter. Uh, and so I think those things together, uh, gave the other brothers and me, uh, confidence, uh, you know, to serve in that role. Uh, and it was really an honor. Uh, I, when I joined, did not expect to be the president within a year, uh, cause I was, I joined in February of 01. Uh, and I think I was elected president in November of 01. So it was very, very fast. Uh, and probably, you know, hard to imagine that happening now, but the chapter was totally new. I mean, there, there were only four members, uh, at the start of the fall of 2000. And so nobody had really been around the chapter much longer than me. And the four original members, uh, and, you know, the members who were around in the fall of 2000, they had already served as officers. So it was like, okay, who's next? Uh, and, you know, I, by the, uh, the middle or the end of, uh, the fall of 01, I was kind of like one of the old hands, uh, cause I was the 13th guy to join and we were on our way to having 30 plus guys. Uh, so, you know, it, it wound up being, I think a little more logical than it might seem now looking back on it. 
Uh, and I am, I was grateful then, and I'm very grateful now uh, that the brothers uh, trusted me with that role because it wound up being uh, a defining life experience in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's it's one of those opportunities that I mean, it's it's it was is definitely an incredible opportunity then, and obviously people looking back on it now are it it you know it blows my mind to think about it because it's like imagine being in a brand new chapter you get you're in the role of president and you're trying to get a charter together you're trying to work with you know headquarters your avc you know all those all those kind of moving parts and at the same time you're in college you're probably in leadership roles so it's a lot to juggle yeah it it was uh it, it was definitely a lot, but uh, wound up being a formative experience. Absolutely. So, in regards to that chartering process, on a national level with SIGEP headquarters, what was that? What was that process like? Who were you involved with, and how did you kind of get the get the charter started? It, it was all new to me. I mean, fraternity was new. Uh, the idea of uh, you know being an SEC versus being a charter chapter was new. Uh, and I had a lot to learn. Uh, and I remember when the process was described to me initially, uh, you know, it sounded great. Uh, we would have our charter and then we'd be a full, you know, full-fledged chapter of Sigma Phi Epsilon, not just an SEC colony. Uh, and I asked a lot of questions, uh, as it was described to me. Uh, you know, one of the things that I learned was that the fully, uh, chartered chapters, uh, have to pay spring membership dues to headquarters, whereas the SECs don't, the SECs pay much less. Uh, and I remember uh, at one point asking, well, hang on, wait a second. If the uh, colonies don't have to pay the membership fees, which were you know, a couple hundred bucks per person, uh, and if the colonies get to travel uh, to a special you know, SEC colony, uh, Carlson Leadership Academy, which is a little bit uh, more intense and you send more guys, and the SECs, you know, get more visits from the RD. Uh, why exactly do we need to be uh, a charter chapter? And uh, I asked the RD that at one point, and he quickly disabused me of uh, the idea of somehow arbitraging, uh, staying as a colony versus uh, converting to a uh, fully chartered chapter. Uh, and, you know, got me on the, on the page of, uh, you know, being a chartered chapter is what you have to do. That's the goal here. Um, you know, but it, it wasn't totally clear to me at the time, based on the numbers, what the advantage was uh, versus remaining a colony. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, being a chartered chapter really means you are a chapter of Sigma Phi Epsilon and the colonies, the goal is to get to get to the charter. Um, so, you know, that that was the goal and that's what we did. But I remember being a little bit skeptical uh, when it was first described to me and I asked a bunch of questions. Well, yeah. And I mean, for someone who's completely new to that process, I mean, even me thinking about it, if I were to put myself in your shoes, that seems like a completely logical question. You know, if you if you have no idea about the, you know, the whole process of it, that does seem like a pretty, a pretty reasonable question to ask, you know, if I got to pay more for it, but I get the same benefits just on, on a smaller scale, maybe even more with the RD visits, you know, why would you, why would you want to convert? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was, uh, knew I was numbers oriented. I was uh, a little bit naive. 
uh, and I don't know, I asked the question and I got yelled at by the RD. <laughs> He's, he sent me straight. So how, how involved were alumni in the process of rechartering? Were they reaching out to you? Were you reaching out to them? Yeah, it, it was tough. Uh, so I talked about Ben Haskell and Fred Stoddard and enormous credit uh, to those men. Um, Sean McKenna, who you know, many, many uh, SIGEPs know, Main Alpha and elsewhere, uh, was an alumnus who I met uh, in the fall of the one. Uh, and, you know, served a big role in my life as a mentor, uh, you know, and has done a lot for me personally. Uh, he was busy though. He, he was in the middle of his career, uh, and had a lot of obligations nationally. Uh, and his, uh, commitment to Maine Alpha in many ways was mentoring individual chapter brothers, including myself. Uh, you know, but he was not on the ABC, um, and the alumnus who we had around the most was uh, a gentleman named Jason Beckwith, uh, who actually was, I think, a good influence uh, in the 90s, trying to set the chapter right. He was one of the last chapter presidents uh, before the chapter uh, was removed from campus. He was our first chapter counselor. And, you know, Jason, I think, overall was a very good influence on the chapter. He and I did butt heads sometimes. Uh, we didn't always see things eye to eye. Uh, you know, but that's also how you get to the best results is by uh, having different points of view uh, and sorting through it and talking it out. And, uh, you know, I, I have uh, very fond memories of Jason and it, and what he did for the chapter. He was uh, the most involved alumnus uh, and really gave uh, of his own uh, time and talents to try to make the chapter successful. Beyond that, uh, there really was not a lot of alumni involvement. Uh, you know, I think the guys from the 60s and 70s and early 80s were turned off by some of the things that happened, uh, you know, in the late 80s and 90s. The guys from the late 80s and 90s were uh, turned off, I think, by what we were doing. The idea of uh, having a dry or even semi-dry house was anathema to them. Yeah. Uh, and so there was sort of a weird mix of, uh, you know, apathy, anger, and, uh, you know, just maybe even some disappointment uh, from some corners of the alumni base at the time. And we just pushed forward. Uh, you know, we weren't going to let it hold us back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would expect there to be a lot of, I guess, probably generational and cultural disconnect between those, those different eras of, of SIGET prior to, and now the rechartering of, of the new main alpha. There's definitely probably a lot of, you know, differences between the way that you viewed the chapter and how you expected it to function. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think particularly of the men from the eighties and nineties who would naturally be the ones to be around a little more, uh, you know, I, I don't think they really related to us and the feeling was kind of mutual. Right. Uh, and so they just weren't around that much. So, when you guys finally received your charter, um, what was that like? You know, what was the what was the chapter reaction? What were the what were you guys thinking about? You know, what's next after we do this? Yeah, uh, we had a huge celebration. Uh, it was uh, at a convention center or a conference center in Bangor, uh, and you know, all of our parents came. Uh, a number of national figures came, uh, you know, all the alumni who I mentioned before, 
uh, were there, plus some others. Um, Archie Yates, who at that time was a member of the National Board of Directors, uh, came. Uh, and I'll never forget the speech uh, that uh, Archie gave. He said, uh, congratulations, you must safeguard yourselves in the chapter and you must never be complacent. He talked about how he had seen many chapters burn their charter, rest on their laurels, let their guard down uh, on their values. Uh, and that wound up being, uh, you know, the misstep or the downfall uh, for those chapters. And that was something that stayed with me. It's something that I still talk about, uh, you know, when I meet with Maine Alpha undergrads. Uh, the nature of a fraternity is, you know, you've got complete turnover of the membership, you know, basically every three and a half years and substantial turnover uh, every two years. And so, you know, small mistakes can quickly snowball into big mistakes. And, you know, things that are good values in the chapter can quickly uh, be diluted uh, and disappear. Uh, and, you know, the inverse can happen with things that may stem from bad values. And so it's on uh, the alumni, particularly on uh, the undergrads who are there at any given time, not to be complacent and to maintain the values and the ethic and the culture of the chapter. And I thought it was really sage advice. Uh, it's a speech that, you know, I heard almost 20 years ago, and I remember it to this day. Yeah, and it's something we talk about every year. You know, we always talk about if, if we win awards or things like that, it's don't be complacent. We still have work to do. You know, even even if we win an award, there's always feedback on it. And to just disregard that because, you know, we think, oh, we're main alpha. You know, we always we always win. We are always one of the best chapters. No, it's, it's never enough. And I, I think it's pretty impressive that that was brought up then and that we still hold those values now to make sure that, you know, we're always always changing, always evolving, always trying to progress and become a better chapter. And the fact that we've been able to hold on to that for 20 years is, like you said, with the turnover that happens in a fraternity, is just a testament to how we've been able to recruit successfully throughout the years. Yeah, agreed. You know, when I look at the chapter now, I think you guys, I know you're stronger than we were at any time uh, when I was an undergrad, which is unbelievable. I mean, the... Uh, the string of buck cups that Maine Alpha has won is something that makes the alumni extremely proud uh, and you know, much credit uh, to all of you and to everyone uh, who's come before you, uh, you know, for keeping that culture in place. Yeah. And that's the same is true for us. You know, we look back on the guys who have blazed the trail for us and given us that ability to progress and innovate throughout the years to be able to win those buck cups, you know, without, without the feedback, without being able to see what we were doing wrong, what we've been doing right, how we can continue what we've been doing right and correct what we've been doing wrong has been, I think, probably one of the most significant ways that we've been able to achieve that, that string of awards. So, so yeah. So I guess the last question that I have for you would be, after you received the charter, you have that big celebration. What was the growth of the chapter like after receiving the charter? You know, we continued to grow. Um, I served out the rest of my presidency and uh, went on to do other things on campus, um, much supported by uh, the brothers. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, through, um, so the end of 2001 into 2002 and 03, we continued to add to manpower. I think we got up to uh, 55 or 60 guys. And the chapter continued to thrive. Uh, you know, I think by uh, the spring of 04, uh, you know, we were going through some of the growing pains that I referenced earlier uh, that ultimately led to the member review uh, in 2005. Uh, and so that was difficult. Uh, you know, we talk about ups and downs. That was uh, definitely more of a, a down. Uh, but the chapter got through it. Uh, and got through it stronger. And I give credit uh, to the group that was there shortly after I left uh, in 05, who navigated that member review. That was not easy. Uh, and, you know, I, I think they did uh, the tough work that, uh, like I said before, positioned Main Alpha to be successful for more than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It was definitely one of those growing pains of the chapter that you know, it was, was probably inevitable. I think, I think that happens in a lot of chapters where they, things come to a head and you have that pivotal moment in your culture that kind of defines what you're going to be or not be for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, uh, I have nothing else for you. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, getting to learn more about the process uh, that chartering process is definitely one of the uh, one of the most impactful periods of time for this chapter now, looking back. So it was it was great to be able to learn more about it. And I'm sure the undergraduates and alumni alike will have the same things to say. Well, thanks again. It's really uh, an honor to be joining you on this podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening and staying tuned uh, and hearing the other uh, guests that you bring on board and uh, good luck to you through the, um, the rest of your semester. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. And thank right, you guys. for soon. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Danny.